Page 788 is where we'll start, and with verse 1, if you're going to use a hymnal or a Bible from your, your hymnal rack. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you do... Or, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out of the, and entered the pigs. And the herd numbered about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it into the city and the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart their, from their region. And he was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Thank you, Alan. I did not drink water before I came up this morning, so <clears throat> I'd like to begin this morning by praying. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning we want to thank you and praise you for your work of deliverance that you have done for us. And as we come to this text this morning and we look at a man who was terribly oppressed, but how he met you and you transformed his life, we are reminded of how you have done the same for us, for those of us that have put our trust in you, every single one of us has found ourselves at some point in an, an oppressive condition, but yet you have delivered us. And so this morning, we want to bring you praise for that. And we pr pray that you would use us even to proclaim your name so that more could experience this deliverance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we live in the midst of a society that is desperately searching for hope. Like a blind man trying to reach for something, anything to hold on to, to give him some perspective of where he is. Our culture is longing 
for something or anything that might explain life and give hope. Whether it is financial struggles, marital issues, family tensions, relational strains or emotional pains or heart longings, there are enough problems in life to cause any heart to just long for hope. I don't know if you like to people watch. Anybody like to people watch? Sit in the mall, just watch people. (laughs) Some people are funny to watch. I know you're thinking, Jordan, you're funny to watch. Yes, I know, that's true. Uh, But sometimes it's it's interesting to just stop and people watch. Just think, what is, uh, what's written on people's faces? What are they thinking? What are they feeling? And I think too often the appearance is one of hopelessness, even if it's masked by a smile. The young teen that is dulled with the feeling of not belonging, the lonely mom who can barely keep up, the depressed man who thought he would accomplish more in life, and the retired couple that always wonders if they made a difference all along. All all of these long for some kind of hope for something better. And our culture attempts to fill this void, this need for something better. It attempts to fill this void with things that only exacerbate the problem. You know, maybe alcohol will drown my problems away. But then you wake up the next morning. Drugs seem to offer an escape, but they're only temporary. And even good things like family and work and health, all can become means of attempting to manufacture hope. But it all just leaves us empty. And sadly and soberly, soberingly, some decide that the only way out is through suicide. And so what is the hope for our culture? Is there any hope for our culture? And is there any hope for us? What will pierce through the pain and offer real and lasting joy? Is there any deliverance here? Uh, This morning, we are going to look at one of the most pitiable humans that we come across in the entire Bible. And it's the most detailed exorcism account in the life of Jesus. And we could ask the question, what hope is there for a guy like this? And maybe behind the story, we might find ourselves asking, what, what hope is there for me? And so with this question in mind, let's jump in and take a look at this heavy story, but ultimately a joyful story. First of all, I'd like you to notice how terribly oppressed this demon-possessed man was. This man was possessed by demons that were radically opposed to Jesus. The way Mark tells the story, you get the feeling that these demons sensed even the presence of Jesus. Because do you see it where they they see just when he has stepped off the boat, verse 2, when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, this man with the unclean spirit. I mean, it was as if It was as if this man raced from the tombs because he simply sensed the presence of somebody who was his opponent. And so he was possessed by demons that were radically opposed to Jesus. But I'd like you to notice the results of this man's demon possession. 
Um, some of the details that Mark includes in some of his stories are fascinating. I mean, did you catch all the things in the story where there are all of these things that are unclean according to Old Testament law, which was in, in play here? I mean, think about all these things that were unclean. The most obvious one is the unclean spirit, right? Because it actually says he was, it was an unclean spirit. But Jesus is, has ventured into Gentile territory, which would be considered unclean to Jews. And then this demon-possessed man was living in tombs surrounded by the bones of dead people. (laughs) That was also unclean for the Jews. And then we hear a bunch of, uh, in this story, we hear about a bunch of pigs, which were a terribly unclean animal for Jews. Uh, One commentator put it this way, Jesus meets a man with an unclean spirit living among unclean tombs surrounded by people employed in unclean occupations, all in unclean Gentile territory. (laughs) So all kinds of uncleanness going on. But it wasn't just his uncleanness that was the problem. This man was terribly oppressed. And the reason he was terribly oppressed, this guy, was because he was possessed by demons. And I think it's important that we take just a second here to talk about demon possession Because Western culture tends to one of two extremes when it comes to demons and the spirit world. One of two extremes. Uh, 20th century Westernism, especially, tended to disregard or downplay the role of demons in the spirit world. I mean, it would talk about the demons in your past or the demons in your head, not referring to actual beings who exist but to the, those bad things that happened in the past or to those bad desires, maybe not completely wholesome desires that we experience. Those, those are demons. They're not real, but that, those are the things. I mean, even, even Disney movies sometimes uh, depict, right? You've got this angel on the one shoulder and it's telling you the, the right thing to do. And then you've got this demon angel on the other shoulder and it's telling you the wrong thing to do. And that's how Disney depicts this. But the sense here, the sense that we get is not, it, it's more of, uh, that there's, there's these good desires and sometimes bad desires, and those bad desires can simply be represented as demons, even though their demons aren't really real. And so the one extreme would be to disregard their existence. But the other extreme is to fixate on the spirit world. And this is actually a growing trend in the 21st century, even in, even in the West, Uh, But but this extreme becomes overly fascinated with the demon world and longs to understand how it works. Both extremes are quite dangerous. The Bible makes clear that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual realms, is is what Ephesians 6 says. However, the Scripture does not give us extended detail on how the spirit world works. And so to disregard the real, uh, the, the real existence of, of demons, that, that's not helpful. That's not what Scripture seems to indicate. But to fixate on this world also is not what Scripture has in mind for us. Both extremes are dangerous. And let me just say one more thing about this issue of the demon world. There is a difference between demon possession and demonic oppression. Demon possession and demonic oppression. There's a difference. Followers of Jesus can be oppressed 
by spiritual enemies. The verses I mentioned earlier in Ephesians 6 says that we do indeed wrestle in the spiritual realm. First Peter says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So Christians can be attacked and oppressed by the demon world, but believers, Christians, cannot be possessed by demons. 2 Corinthians 6 says that the believer's body is the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And 1 John 4 says that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So, so Christians cannot be possessed by demons. But in Mark chapter 5, this guy was possessed by demons. And when Jesus asks the demon's name, he says, legion, because we are many. So this guy was possessed by many demons. And I'm just going to be honest here. Almost every time I read through this description of this man, um, I was nearly moved to tears. And I'm not, I'm not like a leaky kind of guy. <laughs> like, I, don't, I, I don't even cry when I'm supposed to. <laughs> um, but when I read this description, almost every time I read this, my heart just sank to think about a human being who was oppressed in this way. I mean, look at, look at how the Scripture describes this guy. First of all, socially, he was unacceptable and obscene. So, after the, counter, I don't know if you, after the encounter with Jesus, I don't know if you caught this when Alan read this in verse 15, after this encounter with Jesus, the crowd was amazed at the fact that this guy was clothed. And so what that tells us, as my friend Rand Hummel would say, was that this guy was running around in his one-button suit. It took me a while to get that one. So <clears throat> his belly button is, is the one button. Okay, so just, just getting that out there. So this guy was running around, and he had no clothes on. This is just what he was doing. He had, he had no clothes on, running around. And it says in verse 5, look at verse 5. <clears throat> Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out. I mean, this was extremely socially unacceptable. Here he is, running around with no clothes on, screaming at the top of his lungs nonstop. This was extremely socially unacceptable. I mean, he was completely out of his mind. But he also had superhuman strength. And for this guy, it was not a gift. He wasn't a superhero. He had superhuman strength. It says in verse 3, he could not be bound. And verse 4 says he would wrench the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. The implication here, um, or the, so he had superhuman strength, but the result was that he was emotionally ostracized. Did you catch that in some of the words that we read here? He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore. Not even with chains. Not even with a chain, for he had often been bound. And so the implication here is that the townspeople attempted to bind him multiple times with multiple kinds of materials and it says that it happened often. 
And I think before we're too hard on these townspeople, I think, I think we would get this, right? I mean, if, if you were sitting at home and you looked out your window and there was a man running around with no clothes on and he was screaming at the top of his lungs, clearly not under control of himself, and he had superhuman strength, <laughs> I think you would be kind of hiding your kids and barring the doors and calling the police too. And for good reason. We've got to protect But here's this guy, and he's emotionally ostracized. But I think maybe what's most devastating about this guy is the self-destructive influence of the demons. Look at the end of verse 5. said he was on the mountains, always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This guy was physically wounding himself. And I think it's safe to say that he was even suicidal. One commentator pointed to the fact that once the demons had entered the pigs, what happened to the pigs? Well, they ran into the sea and they died. And this guy pointed, pointed to the fact that the fate of the pigs implies what the intent was for the demons with this man. They ultimately wanted this guy to kill himself. And so you can see the weight of this man's oppression. I mean, it was devastating. This man's oppressive condition was terribly tragic. And you may not be possessed by demons this morning. My point this morning is not to declare to what extent demon possession exists or to what extent it exists in the United States or to explain how to exercise a demon. That's not my point because I don't think that's the point of this passage. So you may not be oppressed or you may not be possessed by demons, but you may find yourself in oppressive conditions. Or you may remember a time in your life where you felt oppressive conditions. I mean, think about some of the things about this guy. This guy lived in tombs surrounded by the the bones of dead people. I mean, that was where, in this day and age, that was where the most poor people lived. That's where the poorest of people lived. And you may find yourself in extremely difficult financial circumstances. How am I going to make it out of this? What am I supposed to do? This guy was an outcast. No one wanted to be anywhere near him. And you may find yourself being rejected by people. You feel like, I don't fit in anywhere. People distance themselves from you. Or maybe you've been betrayed by someone close to you and it hurts. This guy also was self-destructive and suicidal. And it could be this morning that someone or maybe even several someones in this room are so low that you are wondering if it's even worth it to keep going. Do Christians even struggle with that? Yes, Christians struggle with that. Maybe it's better. Maybe it's just better this way. That's what people want anyways, right? some of the voices going on in your head. Or it could be that you're so hurt that you don't know what to do with the pain, that the only way you know how to cope with the pain is through cutting. I mean, this guy had a mess of his life. And it may be that you find yourself in a similar circumstance, or you can remember a time in your life where you were in a similar circumstance. But while this is deep and dark and heavy, And while you may feel that way on the inside, I want you to see this morning 
the beautiful, life-giving truth that the most tragically oppressed can be delivered. I mean, here is a guy in Mark chapter 5 who is terribly tragic. I mean, he was oppressed. But here is a guy who met Jesus. And I want you to see what happens. Because when people meet Jesus, the oppressed are delivered. I want you to notice that Jesus noticed and deeply cared for this terribly oppressed man. I mean, isn't it interesting that this is the only thing that Jesus does on this side of the lake? I don't know if you caught the movement of the story. So, so where was Jesus two weeks ago? Where, where was Jesus? Okay, not, not like two weeks ago for him, but like two weeks ago for us. When we were in the book of Mark, yeah, when we were in the book of Mark two weeks ago, what, he, he was where? Yeah, he was on the boat, right? So he had left Capernaum and he was on the boat. So at the end of chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 5, he was traveling to this side of the lake. So he was, Capernaum's on the, on the north, kind of sort of west side of the, of the lake. And here he is um, in this, this uh, the garrison area. This was uh, on the east side of the lake. And so he came over to this east side of the lake. And in chapter 5, verse 1, he's, uh, or chapter uh, verse 2, he steps foot on ground. Okay, but then look at the end of chapter 5. The people ask him to leave. They're begging him in verse 18 that he might, or in verse uh, 17, that he might leave their region. And so he gets in the boat. And verse 21 says, when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side. (laughs) So did you catch the movement of the story? He's in Capernaum. He goes across on this boat. He he steps foot and barely has time to put foot on ground before he interacts with this demon-possessed guy. And then the crowd calls him to leave, and he leaves, and he goes back over there. It was almost as if he is almost as if Jesus came over to this side of the lake just for this one person, just for this one oppressed soul, and that's what Jesus does. If you find yourself in oppressive conditions this morning, you can come to Jesus because He doesn't meet you with disgust and anger and ostracism. He meets you with compassion and mercy. He even seeks you out. And this beautiful story illustrates the power of Jesus over all oppression. And I think that's the main point of the story. Jesus is stronger than any other, and so he can deliver you. I want you to look a little bit about this banter back and forth between Jesus and these, and these demons. It's almost, it's almost humorous. Because first of all, uh, the man runs over and he falls at Jesus' feet and he cries out to Jesus. And if, I don't know if you caught this as you just listened through this banter back and forth. But the demon's crying is a pathetic mixture of demand making on the one side and pleading for their lives on the other side. It's a pathetic mixture. Look at verse 7. It says, In crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? So, what have you to do with me? It's literally, what, you, and me. It's like, who are you? What, you have nothing, we have nothing in common, and this is fighting ground, is essentially what he's saying. 
And then he, descri- he ascribes to Jesus one of the most full expressions of who Jesus actually is so far in the book of Mark. I mean, nobody has said this detail, nobody has given this detailed of a description of who Jesus is. Jesus, son of the most high God. And I think it's, um, I think it's just almost humorous here because he says, I adjure you by God. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. You just called Jesus God and then you adjure him by God. Jesus, you are God and I adjure you by God. <laughs> it doesn't even make any sense. It's like, it doesn't make sense. And I think the reason is because the demons already know that this is not even a contest. In fact, throughout this whole interchange, throughout this whole thing, the demons seem to already acknowledge the fact that they don't stand a chance. And this, the demon's name is Legion, meaning many. There are many demons possessing this guy. But no number of spiritual warriors is any match for the Lord of all creation. And they end up begging Jesus not to send them out of the region. And the weaker always pleads with a stronger. And so Jesus ultimately grants their desperate plea to enter the pigs. And the pigs rush down into the lake and they are drowned. <laughs> and the point of the story is that no matter how oppressive your situation is, no matter how much of a mess of your life you have made, no matter what terrible things have happened to you, Jesus is a greater deliverer. You may be in deep trouble, but Jesus is a greater rescuer. You may feel too low for words to describe, but Jesus can lift you up. Apart from Jesus, there is no lasting hope. I mean, you may be able to find a temporary solution to give you some kind of temporary fix that makes you feel better for a minute, but, in, but apart from Jesus, there is no lasting hope. But in Jesus, you will find the only place for true and lasting deliverance. You can be free. You can find hope. You can have lasting joy. And you can be delivered. And these things are only possible in the saving work of Jesus. So the oppressed can be delivered. But what I want you to see finally this morning is the response. Because when the terribly oppressed are delivered, they shout the Lord's mercy. I mean, when you have truly experienced the saving work of Jesus to deliver you from all of your sin and all of your oppression, then you will shout his name to anyone who will listen. (laughs) I think Mark draws attention to this by putting side by side two different responses to what Jesus has done here. Because not everyone responds to Jesus with joy and acceptance and proclaiming him. I mean, look at how the crowd responds to him. Let's read this again in verse 14. The herdsmen, the ones who they saw this happen from a distance, apparently, they told it, they ran and told it to the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. (laughs) And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Okay, so so what happens here? I mean, you would think, 
Wouldn't you think that if the townspeople saw Jesus deliver somebody like this, they would want him to come and deliver others? Wow, Jesus, you can do that? I mean, there's this guy down the street who's got this big problem. I bet you could deliver him. (laughs) But no, what is their response? It's indifference and distancing. They want Jesus to be gone. They beg him to leave. And this could be, maybe it's because of the economic loss that the community experienced here. I mean, there were 2,000 pigs that died. And that's a lot of bacon. And good bacon is expensive. <laughs> it's a lot of bacon, right? I mean, this is an, ex- this is an economic loss, 2,000 pigs. And so it could be, that they are angered with Jesus, they are angry with him because of this economic loss, and so they asked him to leave. It could also be because of the fact that they realized that a dreadfully authoritative power was in their midst. And do you remember earlier, no one had the strength to subdue this guy, and Jesus has an encounter with him, and now he's sitting here clothed in his right mind? I mean, if Jesus has the power to wrest this demon away from this man and restore him and, and overcome what no one else could overcome, then, there, then something, incredible, something incredible is here. Some kind of incredible power is here. And it could be that they were afraid of the presence of Jesus. But whatever the case... The deliverance of Jesus does not cause the crowd to embrace him, but distance from him. One guy put it this way, ironically, they feared Jesus more than they did the demoniac, and they cared more for their pigs than for a fellow human being. And another commentator said this, he said, most people, I thought this was insightful, most people if they were asked, would probably say that they would like to see a manifestation of God. Oh, sure, I'd love to see God work. I would really like to be a part of something that God does. That would be awesome. But he continues. But this story is a cold shower for such religious pipe dreams. When God manifests himself in Jesus, most people ask him to leave. So not everyone is moved by the deliverance from Jesus. For some, it's a disruption to their lives and their system when a friend or family member comes to Christ. Some people are just indifferent. Some will say, oh, just give it, give it some time and they'll be right back to their old ways. Some might be even angered and many will just push Jesus aside. But not the ones who are truly delivered. Did you catch the the way that the delivered guy responds? When somebody is delivered, they shout the praise of Jesus to anyone who will listen. Um, Mark does some really interesting things in the story. Uh, He uses uses this word beg. Did Did you catch that in the text, this word beg? It shows up four different times. Two times, uh, the, the demons beg Jesus in verse 10 and 12. They, they beg him, and their begging is a desperate acknowledgement of defeat. The crowd begs Jesus in verse 17, and their, crowd, their, their beg is an indifference and an attempt to distance themselves from Jesus. But what about the delivered guy? The delivered guy also begs Jesus. All, all three of these groups beg Jesus. But the delivered guy begs Jesus, and he begs to be with Jesus. I mean, what a picture of discipleship that is. 
What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ, a Christian? You know what it means? It means to be restored in your right mind and sitting at the feet of Jesus. I mean, this man just wants to be with the one who saved him. And what does Jesus tell him? I think it's interesting. This is the only begging request in the story that Jesus says no to. He says yes to the demons. He says yes to the crowds. But he says no to this guy he just delivered. Instead, he sends him back to his own people. That's how the phrase literally reads. Go back to your own people. Your people. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And that's exactly what this guy does. And can I say this? One of the greatest ways to proclaim the gospel to your friends and your family is simply to proclaim what Jesus has done for you. You know, we can, we can get so worried about, okay, am I going to say the right thing? Am I going to know the right verse? Am I going to... Do you know one of the best gospel presentations that you could possibly give is your own story of how you came to Jesus. What oppression did you experience? What sinful patterns were you unable to escape from before Jesus? And how did Jesus deliver you? It's one of the best ways you can proclaim Christ. And then I think there's another lesson we can learn from this delivered guy. And that's this. You are uniquely suited to share Christ with your own people and declare his message of salvation. I mean, this crowd would not even listen to Jesus, the very one who could actually cast out this demon, or these demons. They would not even listen to Jesus, but they would listen to this man. Uh, later in Mark, Jesus comes back to the Decapolis, and, and there's a greater reception of him then. And I just wonder if it's because this demon-possessed guy went back after he was restored, and he began proclaiming Jesus. And so maybe that's why there's a greater reception of him. And even at the end of the text here, it says, I mean, after they saw what had happened, they were afraid. <laughs> but after he proclaims Jesus, what happens? Everyone marveled. And so they listened to him. There are people in your life that I will never be able to reach, that Pastor Wood will never be able to reach, that no one might ever be able to reach other than you, but you can, because God has put you in their life. And that's what delivered people do. Truly delivered people will shout the mercy of God to anyone who will listen. Because when you've been delivered from terrible oppression, you can't help but proclaim Jesus with joy. And let me just close by offering maybe two more specific applications. Maybe three. We'll see. <laughs> um, for, those of you, for those of you that have been delivered by the mercy of Jesus, you have been saved. You are followers of Jesus. You're Christians. Does the, does the thought of God's mercy on you in your oppression, does it still grip you? Does it still grip you? Have you forgotten what God has saved you from? Have you considered what your life might be like right now if it weren't for Jesus? Um, as I was preparing for this, I just took some time and I just, just kind of thought through. What would Jordan's life be like if Jesus had not saved me? 
That's a great little thing to to try, to just meditate on. Because what it will help you to see is the oppression that Jesus has delivered you from. You may experience oppressive circumstances in life, and things may be difficult, and Jesus will ultimately deliver all of us from that. But for those of you who are followers of Jesus, there is a type of oppression that you will never experience because you are in Christ. And so it might do some good to just meditate. What would life be like for me if Jesus had not rescued me? Meditate on this. Be renewed in your joy and your desire to proclaim Jesus with all of your life. And then for those of you that may have not been delivered yet, you're not sure if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian. Maybe not sure what it really means to be a Christian. Can I plead with you this morning to bring your sin to Jesus? Bring your desperation to Jesus to be delivered. Aside from all of your frustration and oppression, the truth is that you are a sinner just like I'm a sinner. And we all deserve God's wrath, judgment. But Jesus paid the penalty for your sin and for my sin. And so you can be free by coming to Jesus this morning. And then let me just say one more thing. I said two, but this is the third one. Um, One of the greatest ways that God uses to bring people to Jesus is when people who have been delivered are so renewed in their joy over what God has done for them that they cannot help but just proclaim what Jesus has done for them. And not just with their words. Like, I mean, this includes sharing the gospel, like actually telling people about Jesus. But when you are so transformed because of what Jesus has done for you, when you are so thankful and so driven by what Jesus has done for you and the oppression that he has delivered you from, when that, is, when that truly takes place, then your life just evidences it. I mean, it just comes out. You're just a different kind of person. And it attracts people who are hopeless because people want hope. And when they see hope in you, it draws them to Jesus, the very one who can deliver them. And so I'd encourage you all in that way. When the terribly oppressed are delivered, they shout the Lord's mercy to anyone who will hear it. Have you been delivered? Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for writing to us. And we thank you that you have delivered us. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood that you have applied to our own account so that we could have life. Thank you that you call us to come to you from wherever we are. You don't ostracize us. You don't cast us out. But we can come to you. And God, we want to pray this morning that as we reflect more and more throughout the day on this really heavy passage 
where there's a terribly oppressed man. God, would you remind us of the oppression that we experienced before you and the oppression that we would experience if it were not for you? And would you grip our hearts in such a way that we are filled with joy over what you have done for us and that we sing your praises to anyone who will listen? And Lord, we pray that you would even use us and the joy that comes from being delivered to proclaim you to anyone that we come in contact with, that our life would be a song of praise to you, and that it would attract people to to the one who can deliver. Lord, would you deliver people in the city of Muscatine here? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.